Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue. Hello and welcome to dialogue. Former president of Ireland Mary Robinson is the most consequential Irish woman of the 20th century. A nationwide survey by RTE Television in 2010 named her as the only woman in the top five greatest people in the history of Ireland. I caught up with Ms. Robinson during her recent visit to China as chair of the Elders, the group of independent global leaders founded by Nelson Mandela in 2007. We are very honored to have this exclusive interview with her on our show as we discuss China-EU ties and China-US cooperation on climate change. Welcome to Dialogue, Mrs. Robinson.、Uh, you are here in Beijing、uh, for the meeting of the Friends of Paris, a group of、uh, campaigners for climate change. Tell us more about this group. I'm very glad to come back to Beijing for our fifth meeting of this group of Friends of the、uh, Paris Climate Agreement,、uh, led by your climate envoy,、uh, Minister Xie, and Laurence Tubiana, who was very. Much key to the Paris Agreement under the French presidency, and we are a group of real friends. But we had to meet virtually for three of the years, so it is a real pleasure to be here. We had intense, very open discussion between us because we are friends, and really good discussions. And I think I understand a little more of the Chinese position as a result of that. Where are we now in terms of fighting climate change? You know, the、uh, Secretary General of the UN talked about you know humanities have、uh, opened the doors to to hell. It's very strong language. It's a, you know a stark warning of our action or lack of action on climate change. I listen very much to the climate scientists, and you know they are clearly becoming more and more worried. And we know that the climate shocks are getting more intense. Here in China and elsewhere in the world. This year, in particular. Yes, absolutely. It's the hottest year, and all the、uh, indications are that, if anything, the science impacts are becoming、um, more intense, more quickly than scientists had predicted. So it is serious. Uh, uh, I belong to、um, a group called the Guardians of Planetary Boundaries, not just climate, but the planetary boundaries. There are nine planetary boundaries,、um, that includes,、um, you know, nature, biosphere, the, what we put up in the in the air,、mm-hmm. and we are in danger zone for six of the nine.、Wow. Not good. So, but at the same time, I am more hopeful because I think we realise that we have to take the necessary steps, and we. No, we must align with the Paris Agreement, and that's the important thing.、Mm-hmm. Well, speak of the necessary steps.、Uh, since we are here in China, <laughs> China is also the largest contributor to this uh, uh, emission, carbon emission.、Um, of course, the fact is also, you know, China is、uh, the largest、uh, factory of the world. You know, it you know, produces all kinds of stuff for the rest of the world. So.、Um, In any sense, you know, like,、uh, how do you see the role of China in fighting climate change? Well, China is definitely the leader on solar, the leader on wind, the leader on electric vehicles.、Uh, I think I, I, I think I learned、um, during our discussion that about 43 percent of the jobs in renewable energy are here in China, and you have 40 percent of the renewable energy of the world. So that is very significant. But I also learned that.、Uh, Because of the drought and、uh, severity of uh, the heat, uh, that your hydro power has had problems, 
and that has meant more reliance on coal. So it's always a problem of <laughs> moving quickly enough. Uh, well, China has, uh, you know, set up the goal of you know, 2030 uh, peaking carbon emission, 2060 uh, carbon neutrality. Uh, people would have said that's, uh, you know, probably the, uh, the you know, the, the sharpest reduction of, um, of carbon emission in the shortest period of time for a developing country like China. Uh, so are you confident that China can achieve that? I think that is really ambitious and good. And when China makes those commitments, it follows through. Um, sometimes other countries don't always follow through, uh, as we have seen. Uh, but uh, I, I do think, and I think a lot of us think, that China needs to peak with coal in 2025. And we think because China is making such progress on clean energy, on renewable energy, it is possible. Um, uh, I'm a good friend of Nick Stern, who knows China very well. And, uh, he, you know, in conversation, he will say he believes that China can peak earlier. So hopefully. Uh, hopefully. And also, I think last year, China has announced that, you know, China will uh, not uh, build, uh, say, coal plants, coal power plants along the Belt and Road yes. uh, Initiative countries. Mm -hmm. So that's a major step forward. Many yes, people. that's very welcome. I was here um, with um, some of my fellow elders in um, April 2019 and we had a really good meeting with President Xi and his top uh, officials at that time and we urged a greening of the Belt and Road and I'm seeing really that that is happening which is, is very significant. In January 2022 uh, you made a keynote speech at the third Hong Kong Forum on US-China relations calling for US-China to take up to tackle these climate change issues. Uh, you know, f basically not only climate change, but also like nuclear, possible nuclear conflicts, you know, you do see serious problems uh, in that direction. So how, when you look back, tell, tell us more about that. Yes, I, I, I called for open dialogue to rebuild trust between the United States and China, but also to help both countries to work more collaboratively on the existential threats, not just climate, as you said, but also nuclear weapons and indeed um, tackling pandemics. I mean, we need cooperation and we have a new problem. We have AI, artificial intelligence. We need a global solution to that. So I'm really keen that the United States and uh, China, China and the United States will find uh, more dialogue. And I think climate is helping because the discussion on climate is more intensive than on some other issues. What do you expect uh, for the talks between China and the US on climate change? I think uh, it's important because we would not have had a Paris Agreement if there had not been that agreement between President Obama and President Xi. Uh, that was key. Uh, I was the special envoy of the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon. Um, I'm now chair of the elders and Ban Ki-moon is my deputy and very very supportive deputy, but um, I remember how important it was that China and the United States agreed. I think all the way um, at COP28 and subsequent COPs, because we only have about six or seven years to turn the world around to be fully in line with the Paris Agreement. So we don't have uh, much time. Uh, to be it's, quite, it's urgent. That's why the Secretary General is using very urgent language. Yeah, urgent language. And of course, China and the US, the two largest uh, contributors yes. to the carbon emissions, they have their own responsibility. Mm. Uh, speak of that, uh, you know, like we talk about the China, what, what about the US? You know, there's a concern 
there are agreements the U.S. Uh, agreed to uh, internationally, globally. But then, when it comes to domestic front, you know, there's a there's a, uh, there's a, this uh, uh, House is a Senate. You know, whether they agree or not, that would be sometimes a challenge. You know, whether that kind of agreements would become ultimately law and policies there. Certainly, the Biden administration has given leadership, especially with the Inflation Reduction Act, which is really accelerating clean energy in the United States. Uh, but, you know, pledges have been made about climate finance, and we still have to see fulfillment. And the, there is a problem, as we know, in the divides in Congress in the United States, which is not helpful, and we're into an election year um, in 2024. It's already started. So all of this makes it a little more difficult. But uh, uh, as we would welcome progress in China, we urge the United States, the elders, uh, we are uh, a group that is you know, brought together by Nelson Mandela in 2007. And we are very, um, very global. We are not Western. We are global. We have three members from Asia, uh, Ban Ki-moon, um, uh, the former president of Mongolia, El Bagdorj, um, and uh, a very good uh, human rights lawyer from Pakistan, Hino Jalani. We have two African, uh, we have three Latin American, the two from Europe are Gru Brundtland and myself. So we are very global and we are very concerned to um, nudge uh, world leaders. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> we, we are modest about what elders can do, but we have a little wisdom to offer. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a role you may play second, between China and the US like, to bring the two countries together, only the, two, the three sides working together in the strongest economies in the world? If they work together, you know, and they can do a lot, uh, even in the sphere of uh, fighting climate change. Uh, instead of like um, you know pushing China and the U.S. apart, that probably will result in something much much less. No, I think um, uh, it is very much in Europe's interest um, that uh, we have more collaboration. Um, as I mentioned, Europe, the European Union has its own Green Deal. It also has good uh, values of solidarity, of um, uh, you know um, support for international human rights, and so on, and. Um, the trade minister was here recently um, for discussions and I think uh, that will hopefully alleviate some problems with trade barriers. Um, I, I can't say how strongly we want to see Europe play a very good role in helping to have better collaboration globally and in particular between the United States and, and uh, China. Um, Europe is finding itself, um, for example, I am honorary president of a an Africa-Europe foundation where Africa and Europe are finding better partnership, less um, so-called, you know, big brother to smaller, you know, Africa is now um, much more confident. Uh, the recent con conference on climate in Nairobi was a very good indication of China really, or sorry, of Africa wanting to play a role. China is very supportive of Africa, I know, and so, the world is changing, and I think we need to see more collaboration, um, if possible. More collaboration. Yes, uh, yes uh, collaboration aside, and then there's also, uh, in the sphere of, like, there's interests, you know, national interests, economic mm -hmm. interests. Uh, for example, 
uh, the EU has announced the investigation into the uh, subsidy issue of uh, the Chinese EVs exported to the EU market. And then, you know, I'm, I'm ta not talking about the investigation, but I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, on one hand, we do need uh, that kind of EVs, electric vehicle, you know, if it's cheaper, if it's higher quality, that would be the best to fight climate change. But on the other hand, there's a national economic interest uh, to be concerned with. So how can you balance the well, hopefully that's something the trade minister of the EU was talking about when he was here, because um, it's not my um, expertise. But um, I do welcome the fact that China has made such progress, uh, genuine progress. I think we need far more progress on battery storage for security here in China, but also security internationally when we're depending increasingly on renewable energy. We need innovation. Uh, you know, y you have a, a young population um, graduated from university that's still looking for uh, opportunities. Um, I think we, we need their brains to help us with innovation. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, just along that line, you do see like uh, globally, uh, again, you know, for the developing countries, uh, their priority often is development, mm -hmm. economic expansion, you know, welfare of the, mm -hmm. of the people. On the other hand, you know, they are expected to also contribute to uh, like uh, to to like for the release of uh, less uh, emissions and also uh, less reliance on the fossil energy, but um, again, there's a balance you you need to make. Yes, I think we uh, were very slow to appreciate that in order to move to renewable energy, you need investment, and now we have more efforts like what are called the Jet Ps, which is. Um, the language used to help South Africa um, from uh, the COP in Glasgow, COP26, the Conference on Climate um, uh, Support, then at the G20 in Bali last year, Indonesia, to give its support to help come out of coal. It's very difficult if you have a dependency on coal and you're a developing country and you need the investment and the investment is not coming. So uh, the elders very much welcome uh, these developments and want to see more support. And we found um, that conference in Nairobi um, uh, on um, uh, climate just before um, the UN General Assembly meeting uh, and very positive because it was talking about Africa as having many of the um, what is needed for clean energy, young population, um, uh, the wonderful um, forest cover um, the carbon sinks and um, the rare earths which are available um, in, um, uh, in, in Africa. So Africa is saying, you know, we have solutions, but we need the investment. And I think we, we just need to understand this is a global problem where we, we need more collaboration to help uh, to have developing countries move as quickly as possible. And China can give very good leadership there and is giving leadership. Mm. Do you think there is a strong interest globally to invest in the clean energy in developing countries? I think there is, but there's also the pressure, especially from the fossil fuel lobby, frankly. They want to uh, have African countries develop the oil and gas which they have found. There's a, there's a very big move to invest in oil and gas in Africa, but African countries, not all of them yet, but um, that was significant in that conference, uh, want to move to clean energy but they need the investment, they need the skills, they need the training, they need 
uh, the grid to be developed, etc., the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a role to be played by the government in directing the national development on energy, but also there's a role probably for the private sector. Yes. Like they need to focus more on the clean energy rather than more on this fossil yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah, for, to seek a profit. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, we see very big profits being made from still from oil and gas in particular, less from coal because coal is no longer competitive in the same way. Um, but um, uh, I, I worry about um, the huge profits that oil companies, oil and gas companies make and that sovereign um, funds make um, at a time when we have great inequality in our countries. You know, here in China there is great inequality. In the United States, there's great inequality. In Europe, there's great inequality. We should worry more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you look at China uh, as a developing country, they have this long uh, vision uh, plan to develop clean energy. You can see the solar power, mm -hmm. the wind power, you know, and also the uh, hydropower together with the nuclear mm -hmm. power. A lot of investment, a lot of uh, policy support. Is that the way to go, probably, for other countries too? Oh, very much so. I mean, China is really giving um, the kind of leadership. And as I say, um, hopefully you can be even more ambitious here in China in getting out of coal, not in 2030, but in 2025, Earlier. which would align with the, fully with the Paris Agreement. And that would, that would really be very... China is so important in the world because everything that happens in China impacts hugely on the global... Um, situation. So, uh, we, you know, on behalf of the elders, as chair of the elders, we want to encourage China to give that leadership and to give leadership on seeing if we can end this war in Ukraine, which is so wasteful and horrible at the moment. I mean, having been there, and I'm going there again next month as part of this working group, when you go to Kyiv and you see um, all around, you know, the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the basic unnecessary destruction of lives, of buildings, of land, of ecosystems, with that dam bursting, oh, being, you know, uh, being being destroyed. Yeah, dam, yeah. yeah. and and so uh, um, we need um, we need to come together on the uh, existential threats, and um, we need much more cooperation. We need to go back to helping the UN to play a role. You know, there's, a, I think it's 2015, uh, the Paris Agreement, the Climate Change Agreement there. Uh, you know, developed the world agreed to uh, finance new climate change actions on, in the developing countries, yes. like with, uh, I, if I'm correct, like 100 billion a year. Mm -hmm. But that uh, kind of a promise is yet to be materialized. Mm -hmm. That was very much part of our discussion in the Friends of the Paris Agreement. Um, it was made very clear that um, this is a matter of trust. Um, it was promised in Copenhagen, which is a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it appears that the 100 billion is likely to be met, but can you actually establish it credibly? You know, there, there is still uh, some thing, but actually it is really important. It should not be um, a problem. Um, it's not the money that is needed. The money that is needed is trillions. Um, but the 100 billion a year was promised by developed countries as part of a pact um, to move forward. And it must be fulfilled. And then we must have the private sector come in with trillions when we have the risk taken out by the 100 billion. That, that helps to de-risk um, investing 
in developing countries. And, um, you know, it, it, so there was frustration at, in some measure at our meeting because we are open with each other. We, we can talk to each other and we realize that this is a very, very important issue. Mm -hmm. We need that kind of openness yes. you know, to face yes. because this is a crisis for all, mm. not from one particular country. Uh, the, speak, you know, the, the sixth edition of the Paris Peace Forum, mm. um, it will, which will be held like early November. And the, the theme is interesting, actually is in line with what you have said about, you know, seeking common ground in a world of rivalry. Mm. Uh, share with us, what's your understanding of this theme? Well, I think it's something that's really very necessary. Um, if we look at the threats that face our world, we need this common ground um, because we can't, no country can deal on its own. No country can deal with the climate crisis, the climate and nature crisis. Um, uh, China was leading on the other convention and I always link uh, tackling climate and uh, regenerating nature. Um, and I, I'm very impressed by your air quality has improved very much, which is good. That's one crisis. But we also have the nuclear weapons uh, acceleration. You know, we need uh, China's leadership in trying to reduce um, the acceleration into uh, making nuclear weapons even more fast, even more destructive. We don't need that in our world. It's, it's, it's not in our interests at all, and yet it's happening. And then we have AI. Who knows how that could develop? So we need, again, um, common ground in having a, a governance structure for AI. And we need it quickly. Yes. Uh, do you see there's any possibility or likelihood for the big powers, in particular China and the US, to work together probably on AI? Because people are seeing dangers of... Uh, well, I, I'm very glad that the Secretary General has said that he is establishing this high-level UN group benefiting from what is happening in the United States, what is happening in Europe, what is happening in China, you know, benefiting from, um, but you cannot deal with it um, in a bipartisan, or in a, sorry, bilateral way, whatever. Um, it, it has to be done um, by a governance structure that the UN can frame and, and that um, addresses the whole world, whether it's under the UN itself or global accepted, um, but it needs to be global. Mm, needs to be global. It's, it's almost like a, another challenge, you know, kind of similar to climate change. Yes. It requires yeah. cooperation yes. of all sides. Yeah. But yeah. We, we, we need to remember, we did solve one problem um, not so long ago, the ozone hole in the world, which could have been disastrous. And we realized, and you know, it, it was simpler, but we did achieve that um, success of dealing with the threat of the opening of the ozone layer. Uh, we now need to find this common ground on the uh, very real existential threats. Uh, I, I think in particular the climate and nature threat because um, as I listen to the scientists and as I listen to the Secretary General's language, uh, we are in danger. We need real collaboration um, and the elders are pressing for this uh, very hard. Do you think there's um, a positive response from the governments around the world as well as from the public sector? Do you think the people, there's am, enough am, awareness yeah, of this? Yeah. I am more hopeful because there are more meetings taking place as we've been discussing. And that is important. The more there is dialogue and meetings, dialogue between um, US and China, between Europe, European Union and China, 
um, and China playing a lead role. Um, you know, the elders are very concerned when you have divides like between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Who was able to bring Iran and Saudi Arabia closer together? China. So I would encourage China to think in terms of, you know, being able to play um, this kind of global role, which, it, uh, which is necessary in our world. Um, we have a multipolar world now, and we need to uh, benefit from leadership from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And this is something the uh, elders would very much welcome. Yeah, uh, on the Middle East, you mentioned you know Iran and Saudi Arabia, this rapprochement uh, and the Chinese efforts. Uh, but also, we are seeing uh, you know, at the same time we are seeing like an increasing interaction between China and Saudi Arabia and other countries. Uh, we are seeing the efforts made by the regional countries to diversify. Uh, their, let's say, reliance on uh, the fossil energy too. They, they, they see there's a danger, like if you rely on the fossil energy completely for your national economy, you could be left behind mm. because people are looking at the clean energy. Yes. That's a positive development? Yes, I, I think uh, we really, I mean, the, uh, the statements from the International Energy Agency are very, really very interesting. Uh, and they do talk about, you know, we, we are going to see the peaking and if we see then um, that, as it is happening, clean energy is cheaper and coming on stream faster, it means that fossil fuels could become no longer viable. But yeah. we also need something that, because I'm a human rights person, because I've been a, a, you know, a high commissioner for human rights, came to China quite frequently, working on uh, human rights here in China, acknowledging progress and also um, problems speaking, too. Yeah, yeah. problems too. <laughs> um, uh, I always talk about just transition when we talk about uh, moving out of uh, fossil fuel. And just transition means um, uh, thinking about the workers and their communities who have worked in coal and oil and gas. Um, we must uh, make sure that they um, have special um, opportunities to benefit from the clean energy, from the green jobs that come up forward. So we have just transition funds. Europe has a just transition fund. My country, Ireland, has a just transition fund for the workers in peat, in turf in Ireland. Quite a small number, but they were in communities together and they would have been very disadvantaged because we've had to move out of peat. And so we have a just transition to help. That's really very important. Let's talk a little bit about, about yourself. You know, you become uh, Ireland's first uh, female president in 1990. And uh, there's a uh, survey, you know, approval rating in the office was an amazing 93%. And um, you have set an extremely inspiring example for women, young women in particular around the world. Tell us, what's your secret to success? <laughs> Well, I think uh, I was very lucky that people supported me and uh, in particular um, women in Ireland very strongly supported um, my campaign because I was an outsider. Um, I was not part of the big political parties. I was running as an independent with support of smaller parties. And um, when women realized that a woman could become president, they, become very, they became very excited. And you know, if I look at the profile here in China, women are doing very well in business, in commerce, in entrepreneurship, in universities, but not in politics. And I think I would like to encourage. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Robinson. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you.